Welcome to Murder Bucket, a true crime podcast where I talk about everything from murders, paranormal activity, kidnappings, abductions, and also weird stuff. If you never want to miss a new episode, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. It would also be helpful if you rated and left me a review. This spreads the word about Murder Bucket. Let's see what we're going to pull out of the bucket this week. Good evening, Murder Bucket family, and welcome back to another glorious, rainy Tuesday here in Maryland. You're going to notice that tonight's episode is not going to be as long as normal. And let me explain. During the week, I typically research whatever topic we are talking about in that episode every single day and write at least seven to eight pages worth of information. And that usually ends up being about a 30 to 40 minute episode. And while that is absolutely wonderful and gives you lots of things to listen to, there are many, many, many different cases, stories, interesting things that I want to share with you, but that just don't have a lot of content and end up only being about two to three or four pages long, which would never get me to 30 to 45 minutes unless I just talk about myself the whole time. And I know that's not what you want because I am not true crime, but the information I'm giving you is true crime. So this is the way that we're going to do it. Every other week, we will have a mini episode where I just talk about a very small case with very little content. There will not be a week slash weekend recap during those episodes. Then the following week, we will have a regular full-length episode, and we will do the week-slash-weekend recap in those. The True Crime News Corner will happen in either one of those episodes, depending on which one comes up as the first of the month, so be sure to check that out. I'm hoping with doing these mini-episodes that I will be able to share with you smaller-known crimes and interesting stories that don't have a lot of content. So with that being said, we're going to go ahead and jump into tonight's episode, and we're talking about three identical strangers. Edward Galland, David Kelman, and Robert Saffron were all born on July 12, 1961, and were left in the hands of Lewis Wise Adoption Services. When they turned six months old, They were separated and adopted to three different families. The adoptive families didn't know their new bundles of joy had siblings. Not much is known for the reason as to why the three boys were put up for adoption or why they were separated. Fast forward to the fall of 1980. Bobby was accepted to Sullivan Community College in New York. He didn't know many people when he arrived, but it seemed as though that many people already knew him, or so he thought. People began calling him Eddie instead of Bobby. They would come up to him and say, welcome back. Obviously, he was confused by this because this was his first semester at this college. Eddie was also going to the same college, but didn't know Bobby. 
One of Eddie's friends, Michael Demence, accidentally greeted Bobby, thinking he was Eddie. Michael then realized that he wasn't his friend, but he looked exactly like him. Michael remembered that Eddie told him that he was adopted, so he called Eddie to tell him that he had a twin. When Bobby got on the phone with Eddie, they had the exact same voice and knew that they needed to meet. Michael and Bobby drove to Eddie's home in New Hyde Park, New York, and when the two identical guys met face-to-face, they froze. Bobby is quoted in an article on nypost.com saying, It was like everything faded away and it was just me and Eddie. They began to analyze the similarities between them and were amazed at how many things they had in common, such as they liked the same type of women, and they smoked the same cigarettes. Eddie and Bobby had their story covered on several national media outlets, and the whole nation was intrigued by their interesting story of how they found each other. Several months went by, and Eddie's mother got a strange phone call from a young man named David, who claimed to be their third brother, that they were really triplets, not twins. David had been reading a newspaper article when he saw the photo of Eddie and Bobby and realized that he looked just like them. Eddie and Bobby drove to meet David almost immediately, and to their surprise, he did look just like them. The boys began to go over their similarities. They laughed the same, talked the same, their birthmarks were in the same place, and their IQs were the same. This is when the media got extremely interested in their story and wanted to know every single thing about them such as their childhood, and if they had any theories as to why they were separated. The boys' parents obviously had questions for the adoption agency, but they simply defended their decision and claimed that it was easier to place three single children to three different families than to place them all together. It turns out that before they were placed in their adoptive homes, the agency told their parents that their babies were going to be a part of a routine childhood development study. The agency told the parents that to increase their chances of having the adoption approved, they needed to participate in the study. So they all agreed. Bobby was placed with affluential lawyer parents. Eddie was placed with middle-class teacher parents. And David lived in a blue-collar household and was raised by immigrant parents with English as their second language. For the first 10 years of the boys' lives, they were visited by research assistants led by Dr. Peter Newborough, a prominent child psychologist. Over the years after the brothers found each other, they became a minor media sensation. They appeared on talk shows, they moved in together, and open a restaurant called Triplet's Romanian Steakhouse. Over time, though, differences between them became apparent. Their relationships with each other and other people experienced difficulties. They all ended up struggling with mental health problems, and Eddie tragically died by suicide in 1995 at the age of 34. After this, Bobby and David's relationship became strained but in recent years, they are on much better terms. Both Bobby and David talk about their experience being separated at birth and the fact that they have not been able to discover the truth 
about what the study was for. It weighs very heavy on the both of them. In an article on LATimes.com, Bobby is quoted saying this about his emotional state after learning everything. It's beyond anger. We've been called subjects. We're victims. There's a big difference. I don't want to play off like we're horribly injured people now as adults. We have families. We have children. We're relatively normal people, but they treated us like lab rats and nothing more. And we're human beings. David is quoted in an article on nypost.com saying, It was absolutely separation anxiety. Those who were studying us saw there was a problem happening, and they could have helped. That's the thing we're most angry about. They could have helped, and they didn't. New York writer Lawrence Wright brought to light Dr. Peter's study that involved separating a still unknown number of twins and triplets at birth and placing them with families of varying economic and emotional reserves. This was to answer the question of nature versus nurture. At the time, the study was never published and the materials were kept under seal at Yale University. That was until, during the filming of the documentary titled Three Identical Strangers, the team helped the brothers fight for access for their records. Tim Wardle, the director is quoted in an article on CNN.com saying, We were driven by the injustice on behalf of the brothers. Producer Becky Reed spent nine months working with the brothers to access the material, files, and footage that should have rightfully been theirs. Here's a short clip from an interview Tim Wardle did while promoting the film. It's said that good things come in threes. And on the surface, that seems to be the case for the new documentary thriller, Three Identical Strangers. Hey, Steve O'Brown, and in today's Entertainment City, a remarkable story of long-lost brothers reunited and the twists and turns that follow. I've never been told that there were two other children. You thought you knew the story, you thought you knew where it was going, and it would suddenly shift somewhere completely different. I wouldn't believe the story if someone else were telling it, but... It's true, every word of it. A story of three brothers, identical triplets separated at birth and raised by different families, completely unaware of each other's existence. Then reunited 19 years later by chance in 1980s New York. The events following and what led to them being split up is what first-time director Tim Wardle explores in his documentary, Three Identical Strangers. Winner of the special jury prize at this year's Sundance Film Festival, Terry Hart sat down with Wardle to learn more. Sundance winner the reviews out of this world. It's that documentary that everybody is talking about. Why is that? I think it's just such a great universal story and so surprising, so many twists. You know, it starts off as a sort of family reunion story and becomes this kind of identity thriller, conspiracy thriller in some ways. They're trying to conceal what they did from the people they did it to. The story went in that direction as extraordinary and disturbing secrets were discovered during the making of the film. We had no idea we were going to end up where we, where we ended up, and, and they didn't either. What's interesting in the nature versus nurture aspect to the movie is I think um, people's idea around that question changes, like does a 180. I, I hope so. I mean, I really, you know, making the film, we, we, would, we would change our minds almost every day depending on who we, who we spoke to. You know, I think I went into the film very much on the kind of nurture side of things, thinking, you know, we can shape our lives and we can shape the lives of our children based on how we raise them. And then I've met various people making the film who don't believe that at all and think, you know, you're, 
you're born with a set of pre-programmed traits, you know, based on your DNA. And the film kind of oscillates between those two opposing views of, of human nature. It took four years to earn the brothers' trust, one of the most essential parts to getting this film off the ground. When you watch the film, you, you see how they've been betrayed and treated so badly. Uh, you understand why it would um, take them a lot to trust people. And to suddenly find that you had two identical versions of yourself wandering around, living different lives, but with the same DNA as yourself, I think is just such a, such a great conceit and, and, and just hooks public imagination. After several months dodging pursuit, the boys were able to get nearly 11,000 pages of records that hadn't been seen in decades. This material isn't seen in the documentary because it was received after it was over. Becky Reed is quoted in an article on CNN.com saying, There is a huge amount of personal stuff in those records that are private for a reason. To access their records for the first time in years has been an accomplishment to them. To have some sense of ownership of this after having no control for many years over how their lives were orchestrated. In the documentary, one of the brothers talks about how he remembers from a very young age someone coming to the house to have him take a test. Every time they came, they filmed it. Tim Wardle recalls them watching the footage for the first time, saying that they were seeing their whole childhood play out. Here is a short clip from a Q&A session with Bobby and David at the Angelica Film Center and Cafe. Last week, we were, we were sitting at my home, and I had gotten um, David's films and my films, not Eddie's films. And, uh, you know, the, each film clip was, an original, was one file, so I, like, selected them all and just let them play. And I'm watching David who I know now that I didn't know existed then, getting on a bicycle and riding his bicycle and playing for the camera. And then I'm doing the same thing. And then David's jumping up and down on his pogo stick. And I'm doing the same thing. And I can see the difference because of the house in the background. And then David, I don't think I mentioned this to you, but now's a good time as any. Um, <laughs> That w was doing like this sort of a um, like a headstand where you bend your elbows and you put your knees on your elbows and then you go. Today up. they call that yoga. <laughs> yeah, well, it wasn't that graceful, Dave. But anyway, um, I was doing the exact same thing. So yeah. I mean, it was uh, it wasn't cool. It was haunting, and th this stuff was locked away, and people were having meetings about it and talking. Three Identical Strangers is available to watch on Hulu. I would highly recommend you watch this film as it is very eye-opening. When my husband and I watched it and it was over, our jaws were just completely dropped. We could not believe the things that this doctor did, the way that he separated these children, and the fact that these parents of these children did not know what was actually going on. They thought that they were just doing some weird nature versus nurture study for like adopted kids to see if their upbringing or their childhood changed because they were adopted. It's just mind-blowing that somebody was able to get away with this. When Dr. Peter concluded the study in 1980, 
He reportedly feared that the public opinion would be against the study and declined to publish it. Of course, everybody would be against his study. Even though the three brothers were able to get 11,000 pages of their records, the majority of the study is still sealed at Yale University's library until October 25th, 2065. Unfortunately, Dr. Peter died in 2008, and all the way leading up to his death, he refused to say anything about the study. He refused to do any sort of interviews regarding the study because he knew the controversy about it. So like I said before, go watch this documentary. Go see how crazy this whole study was and the fact that there are probably hundreds, if not thousands of other twins versus triplets that had been separated at birth and that went through this study. I hope this information that I shared with you tonight was as interesting as I thought it was, and I hope you enjoyed our very first mini episode. Before you go tonight, please take a moment to listen to this promo from my friends at the Evidence of a Crime podcast. Hi everyone, I'm Fern from Evidence of a Crime, a true crime podcast. I use extensive research to respectfully tell the stories of missing people, unsolved, cold cases, murder cases and more from around the world. I've covered well-known cases such as Jacob Wetterling, an 11-year-old boy who disappeared in the USA, but mostly cover lesser-known cases such as the disappearance of Ruth Wilson, the murder of Carl Bridgewater and the double murder of Monica and Dominique Frome. You can listen to Evidence of a Crime on all podcast platforms or search Evidence of a Crime to find me on social media. Thanks for sticking around to the end. Be sure to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.